9. Our text today are verses 1 through 6 in Luke chapter 9. And our focus is on how Jesus sends his disciples into the world to do his work and to make him known. A foundational truth of the Bible is that God is a missionary God. He's a missionary God who sent his only son into the world on a mission to seek and to save the lost. That's our theme in Luke from chapter 19 and verse 10, where Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 42, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Jesus was sent by God to provide deliverance from sin, and he said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. As followers of Jesus, as his disciples, the call on our lives is to love God, to love our neighbor as ourself, and to go into the world and tell people about the good news of Jesus. Sometimes we make our faith more complicated than it should be. We clutter it up with things that are not necessarily essential. They're not a part of what we should be making a priority, but yet we kind of just collect activities and somehow feel that we're living a spiritual life. God is the sender. Jesus is a sender. The early church was a sender. The church throughout the ages that has cared about the mission of God has been a sending church. And it's the same call on us today. I begin reading in Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. The Bible says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now verse 6. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. He sent them. Three words in the English language that come from only one word in the original language. Apostello, meaning to send, and specifically to send someone with a message. Someone who has a special commission to represent the one sending the message. Someone who has a defined purpose to deliver something on the behalf of one who had sent them to deliver it. I want us to think for these few moments that we have together how Jesus sends us into the world as his disciples to do his work. First of all, we see in the scripture that Jesus sends in power. He sends in power. Now the narrative up to this point has focused more on the crowds and the miracles leading up to this. Jesus has taught a large number of people He's been healing and casting out demons. The disciples are there observing, learning, watching, following. 
but yet they're still sort of in the background. When he went across the Sea of Galilee and he cast out the legion of demons from the man who had been afflicted for so long, Jesus stepped out of the boat and he stepped toward the man and showed his power in the midst of his disciples. But I think the disciples were hanging back just a bit, watching to see what was going to happen. When they got back into the boat and they went back across the Sea of Galilee and they came once again to the crowd, Jesus was passing through the crowd and word came of a man whose daughter was dying who was desperate, a leader of the synagogue. The disciples were there in the crowd, but yet the focus was not specifically on them. The woman who was desperate, who worked her way through the crowd so that she could just touch the hem of the garment of Jesus and be healed. They saw the testimony of the woman who was healed, but they had not yet themselves been sent. Now the focus in the scripture in Luke narrows to the relationship of Jesus and the twelve. Up to this point, they've been hearers and learners. They're about to be doers. Verse 1 says that he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Verse 2 adds also to heal the sick. And what Jesus sets forth in this passage is a pattern of gathering and sending. Gathering his followers and sending them into the world. This is a principle that still applies to us today. It's the pattern that we follow in the church as well, of gathering and then being sent. Now, you probably know that the word mission proper does not appear in the Bible. The concept appears of being sent from very early on in the Scripture, but the actual word in our language does not appear as mission. It comes from a Latin word, missus, meaning the act of sending. And this is the mission or the act of sending that Jesus has extended from his disciples to us. He calls his disciples together to learn, to grow, to develop in him, to be prepared in order to be sent out. So I would say to you that a church that is a healthy church that is on mission uh, functions in this way. We gather, we grow, and we're sent. Unfortunately, many people gather they may or may not grow, and many never follow the call to be sent. If you're going to be a whole disciple, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, then you're not only going to gather, you're going to grow in your faith, and as you're growing, you're going to be sent. Now, he says here specifically that he gave them power. Power represents the strength that comes from God, which provides ability or capacity or force the power that the disciples were sent in and the power that we are sent in is the power of Jesus. They were also given authority. Authority is the ability to apply the power. All ministry, whether in Jesus' time or today, takes place in the context of a designated authority. So Jesus gives his, his power to us and then he applies his authority through us. So he gives us the ability to accomplish the mission for which we're sent. And then we go in his authority, which gives us the ability to accomplish it. So as disciples, we are sent in the power and the authority of the sender. Now, the disciples, these apostles that are mentioned here, had the ability specifically to perform some miraculous things. 
They could deliver people from demons just as Jesus had done. They had the ability to heal physically just as Jesus had done. And let me state very clearly here that God is the same as he has always been, the power that he has always had. He still has it. He performs miracles today. He does some profoundly amazing things uh, by the power of his hand. But the primary purpose for which he gave them the ability to do these things in the New Testament was for the purpose of authenticating the messenger so that people would be pointed to the message. They were to be seen as people who had been sent by God and they had something to communicate and all of this was building up to the greatest miracle of all and the greatest miracle of all was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, he says that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul references the power. He references the mighty power. He talks about the resurrection power. He says the power of Jesus is above every power and every name, both in this age and in the age to come. So you need to realize who it is that is sending you and how he is sending you as his disciple into the world. God's mighty power has exalted Jesus to rule over all of the universe. He is the head of his body, which is the church. His power is available to us, and it is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus sins in power. And then second, Jesus sins to proclaim. Notice what he says in verse 2. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God. The word here in verse 2, preach, means to proclaim, herald, or preach, as is translated in many translations. What is the content of what is to be proclaimed or what is to be preached? Well, he tells us it's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, by definition, is the overarching rule and reign of God over all things. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is the overarching rule and reign of God over all things. Psalm 103 in verse 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. We see God high and exalted. He is on his throne and his kingly rule governs all things. And this idea of the kingdom is a repeated idea in the New Testament that's very prominent. In the gospels alone, we have the idea of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which are used somewhat interchangeably. 126 times in the Gospels alone. If you look at the remainder of the New Testament, you'll find uh, 34 references to the kingdom of God. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, after John the Baptist was put in prison, that Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God on earth. The presence of Jesus indicated the inauguration and the presence of the kingdom of God on earth. In fact, Jesus himself said, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, speaking of himself. And the kingdom of God is also the spiritual rule in the hearts and lives of all who come to God through faith in Jesus. So it has uh, a beginning or a, an obvious manifestation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has an application personally to us in our hearts that the kingdom of God is a reality in our hearts. That's a present tense sense of the kingdom of God. But yet the kingdom of God is still to come. So when we speak of the kingdom, we have to use language that is present future. It's now and not yet. It's here and yet it's still to come. And the kingdom of God will be manifested in the literal rule of Jesus during the millennial period. The prophet Daniel said in Daniel 2 and verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So what does that tell us about how we are to live in this world? Because we know uh, intuitively as Christians that, that we're pilgrims, we're, we're passing through. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We're here, but we're, we're headed to the heavenly city. And God has left us here for a reason. He saved us, he set us apart, he sent us, and how are we to understand that? Well, I think it's very important for us to understand that this is not all there is, and we cannot get entangled so much in the here and now that we lose sight of what God is doing in bringing people to faith in Him and using us as His messengers to proclaim the message. It's a true story, a famous true story, about a man by the name of Marin Karimi Nasseri. Uh, he was a man literally without a country. You might have heard of him. For 11 years, he lived in the Charles de Gaulle Airport, the international airport in France. He had no passport. He had no citizenship. He had no papers enabling him to leave and fly to another country. And the reason being is that he was expelled from his native country of Iran. He was sent to Paris because he lacked documentation. They tried to send him to England. England sent him back to Paris. Authorities permitted this man to live in Terminal 1 of the International Airport where he would clean himself up in the airport bathroom and he would live off of the mercy and the goodwill of people who were passing through. And then in 1999, his situation changed dramatically. He was given an international travel card and a French residency permit, and he was free to go anywhere that he wanted. But he was afraid, after 11 years, to leave his home. They actually had to convince this man that it was a good idea that he needed to go and get himself set up somewhere else, and he actually ended up doing that. And there were something like three documentaries that were made on his life uh, eventually. But I'd say that we're a little bit like Mr. Nasseri. We, we know that this is not permanent. We're, we're kind of in Terminal 1, but we know we've got an international destination somewhere else. We know that we're headed to that heavenly city, but in the meantime, we're pilgrims here. So what do we do? Well, in part, we proclaim the message. We sow the seed of the gospel. You remember Jesus' words in Luke chapter 8? He talked about the farmer sowing the seed, and he gave the illustration of the four different types of soil uh, preceding 
uh, the passage that we're, that we're reading today, and he talked about the good soil. You remember what happened in the good soil? He said that the seed is the word of God, and that when the seed of the word of God is sown and it falls on the good soil, then it springs up and when it springs up it grows and when it grows it produces and when it produces it grows something that is a hundred times more than what has been sown so the message for us is that we are to sow the seed of the gospel god grows the seed and then god brings the harvest and the content of this message that we are proclaiming specifically is jesus you see he's the heart of the gospel he is the heart of the proclamation. When he said, the kingdom of God is in your midst, and when he talked about resurrection power, then ultimately, he's the message of the kingdom. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3 and 4, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he says a little bit further down in that same chapter in verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So when we proclaim the message, the Word of God, we sow the seed, we, we share the gospel, then God uses it in people's hearts and he draws them into a relationship with himself. The kingdom is made manifest in their hearts and they too become pilgrims passing through to a permanent home with God. And then third, I want you to see here in this passage that Jesus sins with provision. You say, well, wait a minute now. Jesus said, don't take anything with you. Why are you saying he's sending with provision? Well, to say that the servants were to travel light is an understatement. Uh, this actually applied to a rule that the rabbis had in that day. Uh, the rabbis would uh, say that you couldn't enter into the temple with a staff or shoes or a money bag. Uh, they wanted to avoid the appearance of being engaged in any type of worldly affairs. And they wanted people to know that when they got to the temple area, that they were there for one purpose. And that purpose was a spiritual concern. And when we read this passage where Jesus is giving specific instruction to his disciples, this is not a hard and fast rule that is to be applied strictly to everyone who applies the gospel in every age. And even still, the principle applies. Jesus does not want us to be so entangled with the things of this world that we lose sight of our real calling. The more things you gather, the more responsibility goes along with it. The more things that you gather, the more things you got to tend to. The more activities that you have, the more distracting it is from the main mission. And Jesus is saying, faith has to be the foundation of serving God. Jesus wants you in the mission, as you proclaim the message, to trust in him above anything else. He's the one, ultimately, who is the provision. He wants us to trust him him and God will provide for us as we carry out the mission everything about the mission says disciples are to depend on Jesus power comes from Jesus authority comes from Jesus and as one commentator said modesty is the rule and ministry is the focus so be careful what you're collecting that might distract you from your purpose in making a difference for the Lord in the world. Now, the reference to homes and cities is a reminder in those days that 
people were uh, hospitable to travelers. They didn't have the hotel complex chains that we have and uh, the travelability that, that we used to have before everything happened. Uh, they didn't have all that stuff. So when people traveled, they were dependent on other people. So the other people had to feed them and house them. And if they fed them and housed them when they came into a, to an area to do gospel work, what it was saying was they were supporting the people, but they were also supporting the work that they were doing. So in a sense, it was a, uh, an act of, of agreeing with what they were doing and the servants were to be dependent on the Lord and the generosity of his people. This admonition here to shake the dust off of your feet, I think is a gracious warning about the importance of the kingdom message. Many of the Jews, when they were traveling to Gentile areas in those days, when they were beginning to enter back into the land of God's people, they would literally shake the dust off of their feet and off of their clothing because they did not want uh, to bring anything into their homeland that was considered unclean or that might render them unclean. And this symbolic act of shaking the dust from the feet is a public declaration of the divine displeasure that rests on any place that refuses the gospel. It is a symbol of judgment that is to come on any people or any place that refuses the gospel. And it is also a reminder that we are to be good stewards of our time and our resources. Listen, we only got one life to live. We've only got one amount of, uh, of resources. When the Lord entrusts something to us, he wants us to use it well and to be wise about where we apply it. But I think even more, there's a sense of urgency in the mission. There is a sense of a need to be ready and a call of God on our lives that says, we cannot afford to waste our time and our resources in the generation in which we live because we are the messengers of the Lord. So I ask you this question as I come toward a close. Are you living sent? Are you living sent? Is your life reflecting currently that you're surrendered to the Lord? Uh, for most of us, that means that we're going to be faithful in where God has placed us. We're going to be faithful to share the message with the people that are closest to us, our own family members. We're going to be faithful to be an influence of salt and light with the message of the gospel in the area that we work and the neighbors that we live around and the people that we interact with on a regular basis. And then God is calling some to be raised up and to be sent out to unreached people groups and to the, some of the darkest places in the world. And as God calls people to be raised up and sent out, are you listening in such a way that you could live sent because you're hearing the call of God on your life? I close with this story. One of the most unique sporting events in the world uh, did not begin as a sporting event. True story. Each year, riders and their dogs race more than 1,000 miles for several days through the Alaskan snow from Anchorage, Alaska to Nome for what is known famously as the Iditarod, famous dog sled race. But the genesis of the Iditarod was something that was very serious. In 1925, hundreds of children in Nome had been exposed to diphtheria. At this point in history, children around the world 
routinely died of highly contagious diseases because vaccinations had not been introduced. There weren't readily available serums for many problems that arose. And the only serum to combat the disease of diphtheria was far away in Anchorage. To get the serum to Nome quickly, it was first carried by train to a place called Nanana. Then teams of riders known as mushers and their dogs, strategically placed along the path, carried the serum to Nome via a relay. There were more than 150 dogs and 20 mushers that were involved in the heroic efforts that became known as the Great Race of Mercy. With passion and intensity, the mushers hurtled the 300,000 units of life-saving serum across the Alaskan countryside, arriving in Nome in incredible 127 hours, a record time by anybody's measurement. And by combining the right medicine with radical effort, many, many lives were saved. Now, while the Iditarod had an amazing origin, it's now just another sporting event. Teams race a similar path, but the motivation is different. They still tie sleds behind the dogs, but they're not racing to save lives anymore. Here's the application to us in the church today. Many, many Christians, professing believers in many, many churches are still going through the motions. They're tying the sleds behind the dogs. They've got the activities that look like their missional activities. They've, they've got the right words and, and, and maybe even the, some of the right ministries and efforts. But the reality is they're not truly doing it with urgency. They're just going through the motions. Still looks like that early mission. It still looks like that early account of being sent by Jesus, but it's not the same. And perhaps the call to us in the church is to come back to the Lord and ask the Lord, what is our motivation? Are we living with a proper motivation? Are we doing it with a sense of urgency? And do we recognize that souls are at stake for eternity? It's not just a serum for a health issue, but it is souls that are at stake for eternity. And that's what we have to be about. We have to be like Jesus to be about our Father's business. We have to hear the call to spread the message of the Word of God, to take the gospel down the street and around the world. This is Jesus' call on our life, on our lives, and are we going to be faithful to it? That's the question. Are you living sent? Let's bow our heads together just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you are hot-hearted for the Lord and you've got a passion for Him and you're living faithfully. If you are, I want to encourage you and say, keep pressing on. There's going to be discouraging days. There's going to be things that uh, would distract your attention from the main path. You just keep pressing on and you keep following Jesus and you keep your eyes on Him. He'll see you through. But maybe some of us are, are a little bit lukewarm. Maybe we're not living with, with urgency as we did in the past. Maybe we're not faithfully spreading that message as we know we should be. And maybe the call of God to you is today is to just come back closer to Him. Realize again what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And if you'll do that, God will hear your prayer and He'll use you.
I'd be remiss, though, if I didn't say that there are probably some listening either now or later or even online live who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, if you don't know him today, if you've not been forgiven of your sins, if you don't have the gift of eternal life, now's your opportunity. Jesus is calling you to come and follow him, to turn from your sins and to trust in him by faith. And he'll save your soul and he'll put your life on a path of purpose for him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus and the message of the gospel. Thank you for the hope that we have. Find us faithful to do your work and to honor you in all that we do. Make our church, Lord, a church that is living with a sense of urgency, uh, driven by the right motivations, and empowered by your spirit. And God, we pray that great things would come in the days ahead as we surrender to you, that we would see 100-fold the amount of the harvest in relationship to the seeds that are sown. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Peggy's going to sing a closing song for us, and then I'm going to come back with some 